This is Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. Welcome to it. Let's close off the week. Why don't we? 702. It is time for the Friday edition of Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. My name is Arabile Gumede. Tash, you're here with me again. Of course I am. Where would I be? Well, you never know. <laughs> you just never know. Things happen. Yeah, well, I, I hope you're well. I'm good. Uh, I listened to a little bit of the State of the Nation address. Um, and then I was like, I think I'm actually just going to read his speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it might go a little faster. I must say, I, I maintain that it was action-orientated. I don't, I don't have any other thoughts besides that. It was action-orientated. He wanted to do something. Yeah, I think it was a... The plans are sound good, yeah. But for me, what matters is implementation, uh, managing to split ESCOM into three, as is his mm. plan. So we'll see how that goes. But we'll speak to Lumgile Mondi, who is a senior lecturer at the School of Economics and Business Science at Wits University, about whether President Cyril Ramaphosa said the right things last night. There was also very little said, though, in that speech particularly about small businesses. I know we've had that in the past, and I know there are some that, however, say that this was a pro-business speech. Was it, or was it really for a pro-big business speech? It, it, it doesn't feel like small businesses had too much going for them in that regard, but we'll chat about that, and we'll, we'll chat to business partners about how they thought the speech came to the fore and how it actually helped small businesses, if in any way. And we speak about innovation, and that's because uh, McMahon, who we've had on the show before, the chapter leader for Singularity uh, University, and he's also the co-CEO of Singularity uh, University South Africa. He is with the executives uh, at the Development Bank of South Africa. They're in San Francisco right now. We're going to find out what exactly uh, the executives are doing there and uh, what are their thoughts on innovation? How are they taking in some of the great stuff that's happening on that side? We'll have that conversation with him a little bit later on yeah and we'll also get uh, to chat about our entrepreneurship interview today and that is with prince uh, nwadei who is the founder of ispani group and it's uh, the new way of employing it's a decentralized marketing and sales platform connecting brands and businesses which are seeking to expand their reach into the informal market. We'll chat to Prince a little bit later on as well, around 20 to 8. There's all this and a whole lot more, of course, unpacking exactly what has happened with that uh, Sona speech as well and that market reaction. Everything that has happened over the last couple of hours. This is your Friday edition of Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. This is Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. The market indicators are brought to you by the F&B Business 48-Hour Cash Accelerator. Get great rates and fast access. Stocks in Asia slipped this morning amid growing concerns over the trade fight between the U.S. and China. The Hang Seng Index, which returned to trade after being offline for most of the week due to the Lunar New Year holidays, slipped 1.2% in early trade as shares of Chinese tech heavyweight Tencent declined uh, more than 2.3%. Uh, Japan's 
Nikkei uh, declined 1.8% over in Wall Street. The Dow Jones Industrials dropped 220 points to 25,169 as Apple and Dow DuPont uh, led the decline. The S&P 500 pulled back uh, nine-tenths of a percent to close at 2,706, led lower by the energy and tech sectors. The Nasdaq sliding about 1.2% to 7,288. Over uh, in Europe, it was red across the board with the FTSE 100 down half a percent, the French CAC 1.3% and the German DAX down 2.1%. Of course, over here, negative as well, the All Share Index falling 1.2% to 53,888 points and the top 40 down 1.3%. This is Classic Business, Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. He's back. Gary Boyce and Portfolio Manager Ad Rance was joining us uh, in studio this morning. Gary, good morning to you. I trust you're well. I'm well. Awesome, Thank you awesome. So you catch some parts of that sonar as well? No, I also read the I read the transcript <laughs> afterwards. <so. laughs> it's only seven o'clock, guys. Surely it's not past bedtime. You make me wake up early on a Friday. It interrupts my whole week. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So, um, any particular thoughts on on you know the measures sort of implemented, just holistically? What did you make of make of the speech? I think it did. I think the criticism of past speech is always that there's there's not enough detail. You know, perhaps it's not action orientated enough. And I, th- I think this one was. So it was largely expected that they were going to split ESCOM into the three different units. Yeah. So it was you know, generation, transmission, and operations. I think. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, or the grid. Distribution. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that opens up then the. The, the way for independent power producers to come and you know partner with ESCOM. So I think I think overall that was what everyone was what uh, was watching. Um, we've obviously got the Moody's uh, rating review on the 29th of March as yeah. well. So that uh, that's absolutely key. It's going to come before elections. So I mean we were discussing it before the show, saying you know we don't think it's uh, you know we're probably going to see at least a downgrade of, of mm-hmm. the outlook. Mm-hmm. But certainly economists were saying that without you know a, a very solid uh, sonar last night and uh, and then a very very you know convincing budget uh, there's a good chance that we'll see the the movement of the outlook so from stable down to negative so we'll see how that plays out but i think you know from my, my point of view i think the the sono gave, gave enough i mean if we look mm-hmm. at the currency as well we haven't seen the the rand move too much on the back of it so we're slightly weaker this morning but i think that's probably a little bit of risk off filtering through from asia mm-hmm. so i think i think the markets are, are are taking a wait and see approach and i think it's uh, it hit the right chords yeah me. look considering the fact that you know moody's has signaled some positivity with regards to south africa if they were keen to perhaps take on the debt of ESCOM, they sort of thought that that would be some sort of uh, benefit to to not only ESCOM, but certainly even for the country as a whole. I suppose it wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing, and I don't see how Moody's would would necessarily downgrade us, although you you, you never know with these things, and and it certainly can happen, even though it is after the fact. But a downgrade of that magnitude, I suppose, has sort of been put to the back burner. It doesn't seem like we're concentrating as much on on, 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 um, the ratings agencies now. I think that that particularly, because remember, there's a a big difference between the downgrade and, and the downgrade of the outlook. Yeah, so, so the yeah. downgrade would take us into junk status, you know, force the the, the large uh, ETF holdings to to liquidate uh, South African positions, which is interesting. I saw another article this week as well that was uh, just discussing that we've seen a large selling of South African, especially South African equities uh, locally this week um, from institutional managers, but we've seen a large increase in the holdings of South African equities via New York listed ETFs, which is generally a retail 
kind of focus, sure. which is saying that the institutional, you know, professional investors essentially are selling South Africa, but the retail investors internationally are liking South Africa via the ETF as a as a global kind of macro play. Now, yeah. that just says to me, if we do get a, a downgrade, I mean, that's, you know, that money moves out of that ETF or it will stay in the ETF, but we will move out of the ETF. That's very, very negative. But what, what we're talking about here is not a downgrade of our rating. It's just a downgrade of the outlook. Yeah. So it almost makes Moody's more relevant because Moody says, you know, at the moment our outlook is stable. If they uh, change that to, to negative, it's not saying that we are not ungraded. It's just saying that the next move is likely to be weaker. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, something to definitely look out for. And we'll see the, the backlash. Of course, some unions, the National Union of Metal Workers in particular, saying that uh, they're certainly not happy with how things have proceeded uh, and that they will fight tooth and nail in this situation. Uh, the, the words here is that uh, President Ramaphosa confirmed that ESCOM will be broken up into three parts, generation, transmission and distribution. He also confirmed that non-core assets of SOEs would be sold. And uh, then that's the National Union of Metal Workers of South Africa. NUMSA, they say this is nothing more than privatization through the back door and we reject it. We will see how that fight uh, sort of ensues. I can tell you now though, that the CEO of ESCOM is certainly happy and believes that this is a good move. Uh, I think industry-wide, there are quite a few people who believe that this will certainly help in some way. Uh, it's just about how do you reapportion that debt? How does it work out? And that will be seen on the 20th of February where uh, Finance Minister Tito Mboweni outlines his budget alignments as well. So here's another one. Woolworths, we discussed this yesterday with Chris Gilmo, but I just thought I'd, I'd you know, go into it again. This would be the third uh, CEO now leaving the company uh, for David Jones, that is, in five years. We've always spoken about David Jones being sort of like the, the stumpy leg of, of, <laughs> of Woolworths, and sadly it doesn't seem to be helping them uh, at all. Another CEO resigning. Now Ian Moore has to take the reins in, in, a, in, in a big way to say we will work with them. Should they just leave David Jones alone? Should they, I don't know how they can leave it alone. And we, I was listening to, to another commentator uh, yesterday saying that uh, yeah, it's just time to you know, cut your losses. Yeah. Like, leave it alone. Let it go. I mean, we looked, we looked at kind of our, our, some of the parts valuation of Woolies. It's, we, we apportioned about five rand to, to the David Jones uh, business uh, within within the what 48 48 sure. rand share price so it's it's not yeah and i think you know i think the argument coming from, from you know people saying that we should just leave david jones a lot is that there's just been negative headline after negative headline around it. it it seems to tarnish the whole company but it's not an enormous portion of the company as well you, you know it's maybe making up 10 percent of the company so it's not uh, it's not that significant um, looking at it again, it's been a very mixed reaction around the, the resignation of uh, of David Thomas. Um, he, I mean, he's following John Dixon, and he's only been in the job for about eighteen months. But uh, again, the, the commentary is very, very mixed because you know there's there's been all sorts of uh, rumours that uh, within uh, within David Jones specifically, he has he's actually seen a lot of resignations below him as well. That he's been you know in contention with a lot of the other senior exec executives, and with him stepping down, it actually does signal a time where you might see a turnaround in in Woolies. Uh, the broad read, though, is uh, if you can't keep your managers in place and and you don't have a co you know coherent uh, strategy going forward, it's going to make it very very difficult to turn the business around so you know very mixed and we, we saw Woolies selling off yesterday but it was very much in line with the rest of the market so I don't think we saw too much in the way of the, the market actually telling us whether this was, was too positive or, ne or negative to Woolies yeah. well here's some interesting news for you then Gary 
De Beers has gone back on the scouting trail. They've restarted the exploration in South Africa after a two-year hiatus as new leadership at the Department of Mineral Resources and a fresh mining charter encourages the search for new diamond deposits. Do you think this could uh, be uh, an industry-wide phenomenon, perhaps? I hope so. <laughs> so so we're obviously coming, okay, we've had mining in Darba going on for a yep. while now as well. And it's interesting to read the comments around around it just in general. I mean, there is, I, I feel like, a surge of optimism coming back into the mining sector. I mean, De Beers is an interesting one because if you look at the diamond market and the amount of diamonds that have already been mined in the world it's essentially if 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 they allowed all the diamonds to come on stream your diamonds would be a semi-precious stone they don't have an intrinsic value like that so whether you up the production of diamonds i mean sure maybe in the the mega carat kind of category you're talking about 700 800 carat diamonds Mm -hmm. you know potentially a find like that would be significant but but really i mean it 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 ends up that the marketing of diamonds is more important but looking at the mining in darba what what's really encouraging me is just the comments that are coming out of the platinum sector and uh, you know a lot of the the companies looking at platinum platinum obviously being very subdued but we saw also the the results from impala recently that it's not so much platinum but it's the pgm metals that are helping us so we're seeing you know big increases especially in the minerals like palladium and that uh, that that for me is fairly exciting I want, I want to park the discussion and we'll certainly have it again certainly a little bit later on but let's let's quickly move on to something else every morning Arabile Gomede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb 16 minutes after 7 in his uh, State of the Nation address in Parliament in Cape Town last night, President Cyril Ramaphosa unveiled plans to revive the flagging economy and create jobs, including removing obstacles to investing and doing business. Joining us on the line is Lumgile Mondi, who is an economist and senior lecturer at the School of Economics and Business Science at Wits University. Lumgile, thank you so much for your time this morning. So what did you make of President Cyril Ramaphosa's State of the Nation address? Uh, thank you so much, Natasha, and to listeners. I thought, you know, uh, he was a fresh of fresh of fresh of But more importantly, I think, you know, we haven't had such encouraging and eloquent presentation uh, of uh, of the challenges and the plans for investment uh, in South Africa. So I thought he came out tops. Uh, but more importantly, that, you know, he's focused on really building partnerships across, particularly business, uh, in the various sectors, tourism specifically, and agriculture, um, was very, very positive. And the story really around the breaking up of ESCOM was very disappointing. I expected more around ESCOM than just breaking up, particularly around generation, where, because there's no secret of supply, we expected him to say legislation on the way to bring in competition at generation level, uh, in addition to that, bringing the split uh, as he announced yesterday. Speaking of competition, he mentioned that he will be signing the Competition Amendment Bill into law as part of efforts to increase investment and foster great economic inclusion. Now, when the news came out late last year around this competition amendment bill, um, there were many who were either for or against it. Where do you stand when it comes to this bill and can it really do what he thinks it can? I, 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 I do support oligopolies. I mean, my, my, my view is that a small economy like ours needs uh, South African champions. I think what the South African government has done, which the president did very, very well, 
was to say, you know, uh, in certain sectors, we have a very strong player. So how does the state work with that strong player to ensure that that strong player carry the South African flag uh, in the African continent and globally? And how to ensure that that bigger player then passes some of these benefits uh, to domestic economy by opening up and procuring locally? This, uh, this notion that you bring them up, you bring more competition, it's an issue for me because what it then does, it brings more players uh, who also still charge the same prices. So the net benefit is very, very marginal. And so it's only the conduct uh, that the commission and commission to deal with of whether these uh, players are, are, are behaving uh, uncompetitively. If they don't, but they just have big size, of, uh, they need to be given a chance and be supported to carry the flag, such as Vale and many other Brazilian companies that you see in the digital space. Lumkile, thank you so much for your time this morning. That's Lumkile Mondi, who is an economist and senior lecturer at the School of Economics and Business Science at Wits University. Let's have a look at traffic. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. All right, so let's take a continued look at that uh, State of the Nation address by President Cyril Ramaphosa just yesterday. Of course, a lot of emphasis with regards to doing a little bit of action, uh, particularly when it comes to the SOEs, which have been a big risk. Of course, we've spoken about ESCOM. That will continue to be a discussion for some time. But one of the elements of uh, the South African economy that we've continued to say needs to continue to be a household name, so to speak, uh, with regards to uh, the way it can do business, whether it be red tape, or the like and regulation etc is the small business uh, uh, sector or the small to medium enterprises sector did president Cyril Ramaphosa do enough for the sector did he say enough to inspire that the sector is going to receive support from government let's chat to Ben Beeman from uh, who's the MD of business partners and he joins us on the line uh, Ben thank you so much for your time this morning not much mention of the role of SMEs however from the president yesterday are you worried? Do you believe that you know government is, however, still you know doing work in the background for SMEs, or did you expect more from him last night? Good morning, Arabide. Yes, I, I think one was slightly disappointed by the lack of detail or the lack of specific mentions around the SME businesses, and they they are part of every sector in the economy. But I do think he did emphasize quite a few important issues that would also contribute to making the environment better for SMEs. And I think one, one needs to recognize the challenges that face us. And to that extent, I do think that the, that the president did exceptionally well in actually speaking to the issues that would ultimately also affect um, SMEs very positively. I think the one mention he did make is that there, there would be a strong emphasis um, on SMEs in terms of looking at, at, at expanding the the, the incubators for the formation of new businesses. And one needs to recognize that that is really, really important, that we can create an environment where more, more businesses are, are, are created. But in general, some of the initiatives that he touched on would definitely also specifically affect and be positive for SMEs if one just thinks about the um, the export-led growth that he emphasized, if one looks at the special economic zones that are being created. So in general, quite a few of the initiatives and the plans that were announced, provided that they are executed, maybe over the short to medium term, would have a bit of impact on, on SMEs in general. I think one industry or one sector for SMEs that are particularly potentially going to benefit is if we can get the tourism numbers up um, and the e-visa, I think, announcement is critical, especially if one looks at, at, at getting more tourists from the Far East. We have 
we've heard about the, the, the dilemmas and the problems faced by, by especially Chinese visitors to try and get visas to come to South Africa. So that, I think, is, again, a positive direct instrument which would, on an indirect basis, um, affect SMEs quite quite positively. But as a last point, Alberta, the, the general emphasis to get the broken parts of our economic engine fixed um, and to get this engine started through investment and through foreign direct investment, those are the initiatives that would sort of create this rising tide and SMEs, in terms of how they operate in our economy, would then benefit from the stronger macroeconomic growth um, trajectory as well as, 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 as higher economic activity. Are there enough people, though, playing, or you know, small businesses and business owners playing in that tourism space, which was mentioned as well yesterday? You spoke about the e-visa element as well. All of that is quite significant and massive, right? You know, it's time now to reap the benefits. Are there enough, you know, business owners in that sector in order to reap those benefits? Then, I think it's demand-led. So, to the extent that the services within the broader tourism industry, whether that is in providing accommodation or some other services in the form of paragliding of, of Table Mountain or whatever you may, may think of what tourists may do. We've got such a wealth of, of offerings and it's just a stunning um, destination for tourism that as the visitors increase and I think we, 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 we do have the infrastructure, we do have the attractions, then that would create additional demand and the established businesses itself, they will grow better. I think occupancy levels were down all the turnovers for those players within the tourism sector were negatively affected by our, our visa constrictions. Some of the businesses also failed. So I think to your point, one, 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 one would think that if there's a greater demand and an uptick in tourism visitors, you would have more businesses, whether it's in transport, um, whether it's in, in accommodation or other activities or services, that would provide the impetus and the growth catalyst for tourism type businesses. So I think it's, it's, it's not as if the businesses are going to be created before the tourists come. Um, but I think we would also need to focus on, 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 on the countries to the north of us. The African continent, um, in terms of its growth rate, is going to create an um, additional discretionary income for its, its citizens. And I think South Africa remains a fantastic destination for our, our neighbors and our brothers in the, in the rest of Africa to come to, come to South Africa and, and enjoy the, the offerings that we have in South Africa. The president also spoke about having another investment summit as well. Do these kind of talk shops actually benefit small businesses? Or have you felt like they've at least helped in some sort of way? Has it sort of been like a, a breath of fresh air for the industry? You make a good point. I think the, the, the big investment summits are to try and attract foreign direct investment and to get big um, international players perhaps to set up operations in South Africa. But, but I think we need to recognize that if a new factory is created, if a new presence is established by an international concern or we are creating new um, factories or whatever, the, 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 the spin-off and the downstream effects have a direct beneficial impact on, on SMEs. So if you just imagine a new factory being created that needs services in the form of cleaning, in security, in transport. So all of these economic catalysts have a direct impact on SME serving that bigger organization. So I think the general target from an investment conference is to try and attract the big money. But that creates the economic growth, that creates the, the, the platform, which then creates a market for SMEs to start 
um, serving and to start selling to that big big um, organization as well. So I think, yes, you're right. Big um, big investment conferences are not directly targeted at, at SMEs, but if I'm an SME owner, I would go and attend those and see if I can get a leg up and, and, and see what activity is happening and see that as a, as a brilliant marketing opportunity to try and expand the turnovers or the, the client base that I have in my business. But it's, again, the rising tide. So if, if we do have investment conferences, we do attract that foreign investment. I think President Ramaphosa was quite clear. In 2017, we attracted 17 billion rand of foreign direct investment. And in 2018, last year, it was more than 70 billion. So one can see that if the narrative in South Africa improves, our economic policies and our macroeconomic environment improves, it becomes a more attractive destination for foreign capital. And if we can increase that in terms of East targets, then we can see our engine and our economic activity getting to realizing our full potential. And that creates the environment in which SMEs will also do much better. Ben, appreciate your time this morning. Really, really interesting conversation there. And I hope that the uh, SME space is well looked after and certainly given uh, as much interest as, uh, as certainly we've shared throughout this conversation. Ben Bierman is the MD of Business Partners. It's 7.30, your news headlines. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. All right, so let's continue to check in on some uh, other news as well happening across the market space. Uh, Theresa May continues to struggle along and trudge along with her Brexit deal. And uh, deal or no deal, I suppose, is going to be the question on that front. And uh, you know, many questions still being laid towards her. Will she be able to get it done? She's had some horrifying words with regards uh, to uh, Jean-Claude Juncker, of course, who even said that uh, there's, a, there's a special place in hell for people who didn't have uh, an, you know, an ideal plan with regards to uh, Brexit. And Theresa May is searching and just looking for some sort of way out of this uh, in order to perhaps even reopen negotiations on her Brexit deal, which has been officially rejected by the European Union uh, after the Prime Minister, of course, travelled to Brussels uh, yesterday morning. Morning. So uh, they are hoping to get things right. The two leaders have said that they are engaged in what is a robust but constructive conversation, uh, conversation that is, but they did confirm that the withdrawal agreement was not up for renegotiation. So one wonders then, um, you know, basically why are we, um, you know, what is the what is the whole deal for? What are they actually having a discussion about? What is the robust and constructive conversation all about here? So we'll get to hopefully chat about that uh, as well a little bit later on and see exactly how things fare on that front. But let's get into our entrepreneurship interview this Thursday. And this time around, we have, uh, you know, an, an, an interesting one, I must say. And uh, I hope I say it quite correctly there, Prince. Uh, the company is called Ispani. Hey, wait, that's it. That's okay. So, Ispani is if I if I if I know the word correctly, it's uh, Zulu colloquial for work, essentially. Uh, and is that really what you were aiming at? I know it's a you know according to your website, you say it's a decentralized marketing and sales platform connecting brands and businesses which seek to expand their reach into informal markets with an on-demand sales force. What does that all mean? Well, basically, in English, <laughs> uh, what it largely means is that um, we connect brands, and specifically financial services brands, that are looking to enter the informal sector with um, channels or aid on the ground. 
Um, and that's how we create the work that we speak of. Um, and they, in turn, go out and bring financial inclusion into the market, either through distributing it via platforms, or we equally as well push it via our Sub-Shop network. And and distributing this, and perhaps you know, remaining sort of uh, finding a way to sort of sink your teeth, shall we call it, in different areas and different informal markets as well. How difficult is that? Because you you have to try and connect all of these, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think the beauty of it is that we came out of a research background. So a lot of the research work which we've done for a number of corporate brands enabled us to establish quite a significant network on the ground which managed by our software platform. So we've got about 15,000 puzzle shops in our network. Um, we've got a strong agent network base as well. Um, and everything is largely automated on the particular platform. So it enables us to geolocate and see which transactions are happening where, which agent is interacting with which particular sponsor shop at what time. Um, so obviously the hard on-the-ground work needed to be established in order for the system to be built on top of it, which enables us to then manage the process. Then how does this actually work? How do I, how do I, you know, get into this? So I come to you and I say to you, I'm looking for for data, p- pretty much with regard to the informal market, and I'm looking on ways to perhaps bring in a new product. Would you be able to then perhaps, you know, afford me some data comparison, some information or whatever the case might be with regards to how I could launch the product in what areas, et cetera, et cetera? Absolutely. So typically clients would approach us um, and say, listen, we have this particular financial services product or we've got this particular FMCG product and we're looking to endeavor to figure out product market fit or try to distribute it if they've already seen success in particular markets. Um, And then what we do is we'd probably pilot with them um, with a particular section of our puzzle shop network. So we'd say, okay, let's try this out in about 100 puzzle shops over a three-month period. Let's gather the data and the learning through that particular process, which will then inform whether or not we decide to scale this product up. Because I think one of the things that we are very particular about as a business is the sorts of products that we push into this market, more specifically when it's focused on financial services. Um, Because um, there's a large amount of... um, level of consumer education that's required. And we also don't want to push down products into the particular market that we at least believe will not necessarily add value to um, the sector. Was it difficult getting these, uh, these informal markets, these puzzle shops and the like as well to perhaps be a part of your network? Because I can imagine that not everybody necessarily wants to share. And I mean, the technological enforcement of this also is something you have to convince people about. Absolutely. I think one of the biggest things that has assisted us as a business is um, what we call about really what we call PLUs effectively. That's people like us. I think one of, specifically when it comes to the sponsor shop market and the informal sector in specific, you've got to be relatable. You can't come in there with, um, for lack of a better term, thinking that you're better than. Um, so it's really all good to, you have to get into that specific space and take time to understand the people in the particular market, endeavor to ensure that you educate and you spend time in, um, explaining what exactly your product offering is and showing them how there's actually value in the broader context of what you're bringing to them. Um, per that particular process, um, you're A for a way. But what we've been able to do um, over the past three years is we've actually been able to refine a process to know this is how you approach a particular Somali um, puzzle shop owner. This is the difference within when you approach a Pakistani, understanding also the context of the Muslim culture. You don't approach them shaking them with the, right, with the left hand, you go with the right because the left hand is unclean. 
So understanding those specific dynamics then inform how we as a business then able to relate to that market. So what we've done is that we've developed a manual over this period in time, which we're then able to train our specific agents with before they go out to be able to effectively engage with the particular market. You know, just just a question, I suppose, a side question, so to speak. Yeah. Did you catch up with the uh, State of the Nation address yesterday? And what were your thoughts with regards to it? Did it perhaps offer hope in any particular way for your business? Did you feel that, and and maybe not just Sona, just moving beyond now, do you feel that you've gotten sufficient support from from government in this in this regard to you know help your your business in any way? I mean, ultimately, I think at the end of the day, um, there's a positive business sentiment um, regarding um, Sona in general um, and regarding the ANC general policy in terms of what um, the agenda is moving forward. We've had a tough ten years, if you talk about it, over the last um, over the last while. But I do think there is a, a sense of renewal and a sense of hope. Um, and as a funny group, we also saying Tumamins um, to the informal market, and uh, we're looking to really endeavour to liberate economic opportunity. We're hoping the government um, will make good on their promises to actually ensure that they do create that enabling environment for economic activity and development. So um, we're positive about South Africa as um, as a business landscape. Positive about the impact and return that we hope to see um, in this particular market. All right, absolutely awesome. Then, and very finally, um, your you know your plan sort of from here. How much to scale do you want to set this whole uh, the business up? And and you know the difficulties you've perhaps experienced along the way. Just if you could name one or two. I mean, um, our plans really over the next um, five years, just broadly speaking, is really we want to once again increase our channel um, into the informal market by so increasing the number of touch points that we have, specifically in terms of buzz shops in terms of businesses that we're engaging with. Um, specifically in terms of, I think, one of the challenges obviously that remain there is um, endeavoring once again to understand the dynamic nature. Because um, informal markets are changing each and every single day and remaining agile can be a challenge. And also endeavoring to ensure that our technology solution is built fit for purpose. Um, and it's not what we're sitting behind and plant and say, okay, this is the technology solution that we need to implement, but really ensuring that we are agile, that we're on the ground, um, and we're able to adjust, as it were, to the changing time. Well, Prince, I wish you all the best in your endeavors, but it sounds like you really have it on straight here and uh, perhaps looking towards the right ways with regards to it. All the best with the business. Ispani Group founder, uh, Prince Nwadei, he's the founder then of Ispani, as I said. And that concludes our entrepreneurship interview. This is Classic Business, Breakfast with MoneyWeb, Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. It's 7.42. Well, this person isn't a stranger to the show. We've had him on a couple of times and uh, it's none other than Mick Mann, who's a chapter leader at Singularity University. And he's also the co-CEO of Singularity University South Africa. And he's in San Francisco right now with the executive team at the Development Bank of South Africa. Mick, thank you so much for your time this morning. Hi, Nastasha. Hi, Rebele. Great to be on the show. So tell me, what are you doing in San Francisco? And I understand you're with the executive team. What's happening there? So we are busy. We are about to go on an exponential innovation program at Singularity University for about uh, four days. Um, And it's going to be an incredible journey about how do we strategize, try future-proof Africa over the next three years. 
So that is our, our main goal is to try and you know, work out how can we bring this mindset and skill set of, of Silicon Valley to, to South Africa so that we can enable our own people to create the, the future that we all want to live in. And from the conversations you're having, I know you probably arrived yesterday. Um, are they excited about the opportunities that uh, exponential technologies can have within the financial industry? They're, they are extremely excited. I mean, if you, if you look what's going on here in, in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, it's when you land here, we actually landed this morning, and when you land here, you feel like you've landed in Einstein's lab because Anything here is possible. If you have an idea and you want to, that, that can really impact the world and, and change it for, in a positive way, you can find the funding on the other side. There's this abundance of capital and there's such an you know, incredible ecosystem that we want to try and take the learnings from, from here and bring it to South Africa. And, and, and we're doing this with our exponential finance event in May where we're going to be bringing a lot of the, the global leaders in finance to try to create and define what is the future of fintech and finance for South Africa and Africa. Speaking of ecosystems, a lot of people talk about the Chinese ecosystem and what's happening on that front in terms of them accelerating technologies and innovation. What other ecosystems uh, are you finding interesting at this point? Well, I think I think China is, is definitely an ecosystem to, to watch because they are... Uh, scaling at an exponential rate. I mean, if you look at the investment just into uh, artificial intelligence alone, uh, it has been doubling and tripling every year. And I think this last year they invested over $24 billion into artificial intelligence alone. So China is definitely someone to watch and to learn from because they are innovating at a massive scale from the, from, and the government is behind this, the Chinese government. So that's, that's very exciting. Also, if you look at India, India is another a country that's, that's doing incredible things. There's, there's, there's a city in India that's gone completely cashless, a tiny little city with, with, you know, with, with a few hundred people in it has gone completely cashless. So that is, that is something very interesting that as South Africans we could definitely learn from. You may have missed this yesterday, but I'm sure you'll catch up with it uh, when you read the transcript from President Cyril Ramaphosa's State of the Nation address. He's planning on putting together a team that will look at opportunities within the fourth industrial revolution so that South Africa does not necessarily miss out of the happenings uh, on that front. I mean, if you could even advise the the team in terms of what they should be looking for or um, how to get us to the next level and get us to compete with other countries, what would that advice even be? Well, I think, I think it's really uh, it's commendable that, that, that the president's doing this about the fourth industrial revolution and the Development Bank of South Africa is very involved and, and, and very behind this as well. So it's very exciting for us as Singularity South Africa to be involved in this narrative and, and these discussions. And it's about how do we constantly push uh, ourselves to try make a real impact by using technology and um, I think we're going to as long as we can just embrace that, that we need to have a new mindset and we need to think differently and we need to bring all this thinking from, from these developed nations that are already doing a lot of these incredible uh, um, uh, technologies if we can bring that into our lives it's going to make all the difference in the beginning of the year we had a lot of uh, you know 
financial institutions, be it fund managers, asset managers, talking about things we need to be looking out for for 2019, be it on the political and economic side. From your perspective in terms of trends for 2019 within the um innovation or artificial intelligence space what's got you excited about uh plans for this year well, well i'm really excited about i mean artificial intelligence is is changing every aspect of our lives and if you think about jack ma who's the ceo of alibaba he made a comment recently where he said if you think you've got a water pipe and you've got an electricity pipe the new pipe you're going to you're going to need is the data pipe because the data is almost like a utility for us to, to operate in the future. And I think a big trend of the, in 2019 is how do we harness the data and how do we use algorithms and machine learning to get insights from that data that can help us progress in a much faster way? And how do we collaborate? So I think a big, a big narrative for 2019 is how do we come together as, 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 you know, as individuals, as companies, as organizations, as governments, how do we all band together to scale much faster so that we can lead the way in the future rather than in chase uh, these, these developed countries? Um, and I also think a big, big narrative for this year is going to be robotics. We've seen an incredible rise of, of new robots coming out um, and sensors are dropping and uh, the electronics around robotics are dropping. So I'm very excited to see what happens in the robotics world this year. Mick, uh, thank you so much for your time this morning. That's Mick Mann, who's the chapter leader for Singularity University, and he's also the co-CEO of Singularity University, South Africa. Join Classic 1027 for the free and exclusive pre-screening of the Academy Award-nominated and Golden Globe winner for Best Picture, Green Book. Set in the segregated American Deep South of the 1960s, it follows the true story of an African-American classical jazz pianist and an Italian-American bouncer as it and bodyguard. Against the odds, they find true friendship in this comedy drama movie. To get your share of 40 double tickets, including snacks, go to classic1027.co.za and book your tickets to enjoy this film on Wednesday the 13th of February at New Metro's luxurious VIP Cineplex at Hyde Park. New Metro, it's your scene. This is Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. It's 7.50. Let's uh, head up on some other news as well, making headlines today. Of course, Trevor Manuel, the former finance minister of South Africa, has been uh, asked to head up the panel to interview contenders for the commissioner post at the South African Revenue Services. Now, I had a a theory of my own, and I thought that perhaps with uh, Maria Ramos stepping down and retiring as CEO of APSA, that she perhaps, you know, would want to take up that government post I can almost say with absolute certainty that uh, that's no longer happening. You've had other theories as well. At some point, you thought uh, former Deputy Governor Francois Krupp might be in the running. I mean, he could still be, he could still um, apply for that position. You just never know. And, you know, they've said that there are fewer than 10 people that they're going to interview for the job. uh, And they will have a decision on this in the next few weeks. So... If you think about it, a few weeks means that probably before the end of February, mm-hmm. we'll know if uh, who the next commissioner of the South African Revenue Services will be. This is uh, a really great step, if you ask me, because it's, it's needed to just get some clarity with regards to its leadership and move on from here. Look, uh, if, if we take out Maria Ramos, if we take out the, the chance that maybe, uh, the off chance that maybe uh, Francois Krupp uh, would, would take the opportunity, 
You know, I don't see why Mark Kingon isn't still, you know, a front runner. He is currently interim uh, commissioner. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, but as we said there, Trevor Manuel is indeed part of the seven member panel that heads up uh, the interviewing of the te- less than 10 candidates for the post of commissioner of the South African uh, Revenue Services. Some of the other people there are Judge Dennis Davis, Ismail Momonyatu, who is currently uh, Tax Chief at National Treasury, um, uh, Tandi Orlane, who, uh, Human Resources Expert, and the Chair of the African Woman Chartered Accountants Investment Holding Company, Cindy uh, Mabaso Konyane, as well, and even Angela Besta. It would be nice, though, if they would broadcast the interview process um, as they do with, as they did with the NPA and some yeah, others. And even well. the public protector one is also broadcast. It would be actually quite interesting, considering how big a deal it is, actually. I think it would be quite fair uh, to, to do so. Who knows? Let's see what happens on that front. Here's an interesting one, guys. One trillion rand is how much totals find uh, could of gas uh, condensate could add to South Africa's economy over the next 20 years. Now, a significant uh, gas condensate was found off the coast of South Africa. Uh, French oil and gas company Total announcing this yesterday and that it has opened up a new sort of world-class oil and gas province off the coast of Mossel Bay uh, at its uh, Prolpada prospects on Block uh, 11 and 12B uh, in the Otaniqua Basin. Uh, this indeed, as they say, could be a game changer for our country and a significant consequence for our country's energy security and development uh, in this industry. We are very pleased to announce this, uh, which was drilled in a challenging deep water environment. How great could this be? How how well could this actually bode for us, you reckon, uh, Gary? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, South Africa is a net oil importer, so to have uh, you know just a, a find of this magnitude, and it's still to be confirmed as well, just just how you, you know how how much could potentially yield from the from the discovery. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, as much as we look to electric cars and uh, you know f- you know future technologies to change things, uh, this it's it's not it's not going to happen anytime soon. And I mean, it's it's something that uh, that is certainly going to you know, at least help with our fuel prices, which you know feeds into every part of our EU economy and, and hopefully just manages to keep infra- inflation suppressed and mm. in translation, perhaps even an interest rate drop. See, now you're talking my language. <laughs> <laughs> like that one, that's for sure. So here's another one. MTN as well, those shares sliding yesterday, falling 2.2%. And that was based uh, primarily on um, you know the operator's court battle with Nigeria's attorney general over what is a $2 billion tax demand. Uh, this case was then put on hold again yesterday so that share price falling to 85 rand and 70 cents the nigerian court postponed the case until march the 26th and the hearing was initially scheduled for november 8 and you can imagine then that this is certainly not doing their share price any favors the mobile operator uh, has uh, obviously had their shares crash particularly in the second half of 2018 uh, says that they will maintain uh, their their stance and will continue to fight. Our MTN reached a settlement with Nigeria Central Bank in December regarding the 8.1 billion rand claim, which was then reduced to $53 million, which is still a huge chunk. The tax case does remain an overhang on its share price, which lost 2.6% in Thursday afternoon trading. Um, Gary, MTN is still, however, a good business, despite 
Nigeria. And this week they came out with that trading statement which showed that they are doing better or doing well despite Nigeria, not necessarily because of it only. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's interesting because we see the, the headlines rolling around on the, the Nigerian case. We, we see issues around Uganda as well. And just continually reminding investors that, that MTN needs to trade at, uh, at discount to perhaps other uh, uh, telco providers that operate in more stable territories because you know, even though they might settle this case, there's no... Uh, you know, there's no reason there can't be other other matters, as we saw with uh, you know the dispute of uh, repatriation of funds, and it you know the question for 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 I suppose market people and and people invested in MTN is how much of this news is priced in because if you compare MTN to a Vodacom, um, which obviously had a large uh, collapse on the back of its uh, most recent numbers, it is far far cheaper. So you've got to look at the company in the context of yes, we understand there are problems in it, but operationally it is sound. It it is in some of the most exciting markets if they manage to continue to operate in there without too many you know, legal <laughs> ramifications. And uh, and and for that reason, it it quite possibly could be could be an attractive company to to invest in. Mm. Okay, now SAA has been something we always talk about, um, but I wanted to talk about an inter- on the international front and what this says about the airline industry. Now, what is uh, the world's oldest travel company, Thomas Cook, says that they're willing to sell their unprofit or their profitable rather their profitable airline business in order to raise cash and fund their fight back from a torrid 2018 and signs of a tough year ahead if the world's oldest travel company which is indeed experiencing a profit in that airline industry is willing to bow out of that industry to save the company on the whole what should we be saying to SAA or about SAA? <laughs> I, I feel there's a, there's a parable there. <laughs> should we bow out of SAA? Now, it, it's it's a huge discussion. And, and I mean, sure, you look at the, the, the profitability of airline routes and you know, the problem with it is that there's a lot of external, what economists call externalities within um, within airlines specifically because they, you know, they facilitate things like tourism. So mm. you accept routes running at a loss in uh, as long as it translates to a greater profit in other sectors that not ne- maybe not necessarily realized within the the airlines uh, financials but uh, certainly i think we look at saa compared to you know the likes of comair and and other uh, and other airline operators and we we look at it and say this is something that could How be run a, a lot a, a, a lot more yeah, I, I'm not sure the exact numbers, but uh, but, but yeah. certainly, I mean, they get to pick and choose their routes. And again, they're, not, they're trying to maximize profits as a private business versus a you know, state-owned entity, which would be trying to maximize, we hope, in theory, the public good. 72 years of profits. That is still a staggering number. Till this very day, Comair has 72 years of worth of profits and as you say they get to pick and choose which routes they take on they make their business as lean and as mean as possible Mm -hmm. and they continue to trudge along to the best of their ability and perhaps we're you know trying too much as the state carrier you know uh, and, and doing a little too much and forcing us over to get into the mix we're in well, that brings us to the end of today's show, though. That is uh, the Friday edition of Classic Business Breakfast as well. And we close out uh, today's show. Of course, a whole lot of earnings news as well. Sassel uh, has a trading update as well today to have come out for the sixth month. 
uh, ended December the 31st. Just a quick look there. Uh, it seems that uh, headline earnings per share is expected to go up between 30 and 34 percent. Core headline earnings per share uh, to go up between 16 and 20 percent. We'll continue to unpack a lot more of that data and news as and when it comes out. Tash? Yeah, we'll be back uh, on Monday. Is Man United playing? No? Yes, maybe? I think they certainly are this week. Yes, yes, it is a it is a soccer filled week. So yes. All right. Well, we'll I'll catch up with you on Monday as to what happened. But that's goodbye for me. Goodbye. It's eight o'clock.